This is Thinking Drinking, a podcast about drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined in the virtual pub by my drinking buddy, Leary. What are you drinking and thinking about today? Hi, Tim. I am thinking about Prosecco today Ooh. and I have a very, very unique Prosecco to drink. Okay. What, in, in what way? Why is it unique? Uh, I made it myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrifying. Okay, obviously we're we're in lockdown, so people are going to extremes. Um, tell me, you haven't done anything illegal? Uh, no, it was a present from my husband uh, for Christmas. He bought me something called my Seco, <laughs> which is a legit thing, completely legal. Uh-huh. He bought it off the legit internet, not the black internet or whatever they call it. <laughs> The black internet. <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think you meant the dark web. <laughs> the dark web. That's the one. The black black internet is a whole different cultural movement. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, she's well. She has to forgive her. Um, before we get into how you made your prosecco, and I think the big reveal of how it tastes, because I imagine it's going to be disgusting. For the occasion, I got myself a nice proper prosecco from the prosecco region. Uh, Spumanti. It's from uh, Bosalto di Piave, which is just outside Venice, and I'm going to pop her now in celebration of our first podcast. Oh, that sounded good. Isn't it? Yeah. I'm expecting something at least as good as that from you. Well, it's been like slowly sizzling and weeping in my fridge for the last 24 hours, so... <laughs> Don't expect much. <laughs> to be fair, who hasn't wept in your fridge? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've been doing it all lockdown. <laughs> yeah, just standing next to it, weeping, head in the shelf, poking through various leftover ice cube trays. Anyway, um, I've got mine, so I, I don't want to keep you waiting too long. So I'm just going to do a little bit of intro to uh, Prosecco, mm-hmm. Prosecco history. Um, or I could talk about the history for a really long time and make you wait. <laughs> so as I said, it's a region, Prosecco, or it comes from a region. Prosecco is actually a village and it's right on the border with Slovenia. So it's kind of over the Gulf of Trieste. And in fact, the, um, the Prosec name in Slovenian uh, means path through the woods. Delightful. So it's, <clears throat> in many ways, yeah. It's actually kind of Slovenian, but then it got adopted into Italy. It's had a few names in Italy throughout its history. Pliny the Elder actually wrote about how much he loved it. And Livia, the wife of Emperor Augustus, they both praised it for its medicinal qualities. And they called it Puccinum in those days, Puccinum. And then it was noted in the 16th century that they were calling it Ribola. That is way too close to Rubella for my liking. I mean, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps that's why they rebranded. <laughs> I, l- I like that you're already thinking there are like rebranding agencies in the 16th century that are going around going, no, hun, we need to change. <laughs> we need a whole change of direction. 
let's rethink, rethink this whole vision. Um, so that it's actually an Englishman in 1593 who first writes down that Puccino has now become Prosecco, um, which was the wine celebrated by Pliny. So people absolutely love it in that region. People who are visiting love it. It's a, a very well-regarded drink throughout history, but for many different properties. So these days, as I say, it's still made that, it's still made around that region, the northeast of Italy, Veneto and Friuli. Um, the grape variety is Glera. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, um, since 2009, you can make Glera wine. So it's the same, it's basically the same as Prosecco, except if it's not made in the Prosecco region, you can't call it Prosecco. I was going to ask that because everybody knows that fact about Champagne, but not so much mm -hmm. Prosecco. Yes, exactly. Mm. So it's the same thing. So Glera, it has to be 85% Glera grape. Yeah. And then it can be, you know, something else. Um, the other thing that's distinct about Prosecco is it's made using the um, Charmat method which is tank fermentation, um, as opposed to the champagne method, mm -hmm. like Carver and Cremont. The Cremont is sparkling wine that's not in the champagne region, based yeah. French. So they would be um, fermented again in the bottle. They'd be fermented on um, dead yeast. Sounds gross, but it's <laughs> lovely. Um, dead yeast gives, it, gives Carver and Cremont that sort of extra savoury note. Yeah. So sometimes it'll be a bit bready, sometimes it will be a little bit salty. But the thing about um, the way Prosecco is made is it's got to be really fresh. It tastes of fresh apples, pears, a bit of lemon or lime. Yeah. Um, and that's what you're really after, that kind of like fresh, I am all about flavor. the Prosecco. I, I probably these days choose Prosecco over Champagne, Jacques Horror. Mm. Well, as we shall see uh, in a few facts later on, you are not alone in that option. Ah, oh, good. The other thing is it can be still, although you don't see it very often. Most often it's spumante uh, for the superior or frizzante, mm -hmm. which is, you know, sort of half fizzy. All Prosecco is white. Um, I think, I believe they have now acquired a license to make rosé Prosecco. Yeah. Um, I, I think they, they realised how massive the hen party market was. <laughs> I'm sure that was their entire reasoning, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, I think I've, I've made you wait long enough to taste yours. I've given you like some of the basics of what's going on with Prosecco. So I'm, are you I'm ready not going to lie, this? looking at it in the bottle, I'm more than happy for you to carry on. <laughs> it looks horrible. <laughs> Do you want to stall by telling us the actual process to, to make your version? Of yeah. And I'll also use that time to kind of shake around whatever's lying at the bottom of the bottle. <laughs> oh, gosh. Sure. Nothing wrong with a bit of sediment. <laughs> a bit. Um, so, yeah, it was a really arduous process of taking the big bottle out of the box. They'd labelled it for someone as idiotic as myself to follow the steps. There were two boxes. And bright orange on one said step one, which included putting a homemade funnel into the glass, which I fashioned out of some A4 printer paper. And I had to pour some mystery sachets. They probably weren't mystery, I just didn't read them. I was hungover when I did it. Um, so I just ripped open some sachets and poured them into the funnel. One of them was powdery. One of them was like a meaty honey syrup thing. 
Mm-hmm. So I put that in there and then I had to top it about two thirds of the way up to the bottle uh, with water. Um, and then let that sit for about 12 days. And then two days ago, I had to put a special top on it and tip the glass upside down for a day to allow it to all settle. And then after a day of that, I could tip it back upright, open the top, get my trusty funnel back out, put some citric acid. I did read that sachet. Uh, Put some citric acid in it. And then some really questionable looking tablets that just said fizz on them. Uh, I was terrified it was going to be like a Mentos Coke moment where I was going to put them in a bottle and it was just going to erupt. But I advised you to wrap a bag around it, didn't I? <laughs> it's like It might explode in the fridge, put it in a bag first, stopped it. It was the complete opposite. They plopped in there and just floated around a bit. They fizzed less than a Barocca. And then... I don't know. Nothing seems to have happened. I thought it would have at least filled up the, the the glass bottle. I don't understand why it's not full because I had to put two thirds water in, which I thought oh, leaving room for the fizz to expand. No, nothing. It just looks like two thirds of a bottle of really interesting liquid. You've stalled long enough. It's I really, I, I guess it would be my job to describe to the listeners what happens to your face when you um <laughs> when you taste it. Okay. Let's let's listen okay. for the pop. Okay. I've got two dogs sat not too far from me. I'm hoping they don't get too scared. Oh, God. I should have got a tea towel. I've, I've got the bag that I wrapped around it. <laughs> so much practice. Gonna open it into a bag. <laughs> oh, gosh. All I'm going to say is that I can smell vinegar. Oh, I can hear fizz. I've got a really nice dress on, so I hope it doesn't go everywhere. Oh, she hasn't. She's in her pyjamas. This is the first day in a long time I've put a dress on. I'm not <laughs> going to try and sugarcoat it, but I did get dressed today. <laughs> I've heard nothing in the way of popping so far. How's it going under that? Um, so I'm undoing the wire, but I, because I was so scared of it exploding in my, in my fridge, I, I did go a bit mental on the wire. <laughs> This is a podcast of a woman rummaging around in a plastic bag so far. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, I think we're ready. Okay, I've got the cage off. Coming out of my cage. (laughs) Okay, this could be it. Could be nothing. Oh, it's open, I didn't even realise. Wow, oh. (laughs) That, I mean, that's the definition of anticlimax. <laughs> there, there is some fizz in the bottle. Yeah. It's not audible. There's some fizz in there, and it looks like someone's already had a glass out of it. Yeah, it's still not even remotely full. Come on, then. Let's pour. Sit, it smells taste. more like Prosecco than whatever leaked out of it in the fridge. As a, as a general rule, we try to avoid tasting notes on this podcast but this will be the exception because this is the whole point of you oh wow on air (laughs) optimistically poured yourself a very full glass there um it's do you want to describe the color of it um i mean it looks like beer from here it's got a very tight foamy head (laughs) and um (laughs) it's a it's a dark kind of amber 
yeah that's the kind of that's the kind of toilet visit i do on the last day of glastonbury keeping it classy yeah yeah <laughs> right so i guess i'm gonna drink it yep Good it luck. smells very very aptly well that's promising oh wow <laughs> it's like a bad cider and then it's got an aftertaste of some kind of cleaning product <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so, uh, smells so that's my that's my three kind of notes on my circle. Smells like apple juice, tastes like a bad cider, aftertaste, cleaning product. Well, cheers, darling. Hope you enjoy that for the rest of the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that was my that was my clinking for you. <laughs> oh my god, I can't even clink. It's <laughs> it's ruined my glass. <laughs> well. I guess your glass is as quality as your Prosecco. <laughs> Fade. Um, let me ask you a question in terms of taste. How yes. does it compare to those awful crisps that you bought that one time? Um, Do you remember this? Do you remember these crisps? I remember the crisps. It was a, I think it was a Christmas special from M&S. Yeah. Prosecco-flavoured crisps. They yeah. were really bad. They were horrendous, weren't they? There was no real flavour. Well... I thought they were more like salt and vinegar that had just been completely covered in bicarb. Yeah, but bicarb and sugar acid crisps. Mm-hmm. Didn't they have like really bad. gold stars and stuff as well? I remember gold stars, yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was horrendous. Never do that again. The, the, my seco is definitely way worse than the crisps. Really? It's awful. To the point where I think I might be ill if I drink it because it's burning my chest a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later. (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, um, I feel like I should tell you something about the UK consumption of Prosecco. So how much of the Prosecco that Italy exports do you think um, we take? UK, mm-hmm. we take a lot, I think. It's become like the basic bitch drink, hasn't it? Well, you say that, I wouldn't. <laughs> I say that with my homemade for a second. Yeah, with your awful homemade <laughs> one that you don't want to drink, and me with my nice one that I have imported. <laughs> um, I'd say we would take over half of it. Okay, well, you've, you've wildly overestimated that and making the wow. sound not quite as good. We take a quarter of their exports of Prosecco. That's still impressive. It is impressive. And to put that in, into perspective, uh, I found some, some stats on how much sparkling, so not specifically Prosecco, but sparkling wine, um, the British drink. And in 2008, they found that an estimated 1.1 million people consumed 10 or more glasses of sparkling wine or champagne during the week. 10 glasses a week, week, over a million people in this country. Well, I've got a very easy solution for that. Give them all my second. <laughs> <laughs> that figure's going to go way down. <laughs> Glasses a week is impressive, though. It makes me feel better about myself. Yeah, I was I was quite shocked by how much we actually drink that. Um, yeah. yeah, the British have always been a big importer of sparkling wine, champagne as well. But you see the um, the balance really shift. 
from 2008 onwards, Prosecco suddenly booms as the bottle that everyone's bringing to parties. Uh, do you know where that is? I'm going to pretend. No, no I'm not going to bother. No, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was the financial crash. It's because 2008 was the big financial crash. People just could not. Even the very wealthy people who were drinking lots of champagne before could no longer afford yeah. champagne. And because of the way Prosecco's made, because it has that tank fermentation rather than bottles, it's a lot cheaper to make, a lot cheaper. So mm. um, people could just import it. And it, and it stopped in the, in the 60s. It got a, you know, a bit of a bad rep because it was still quite sweet. Um, but then mm. they refined the making process in, in the tanks, much better tanks that they were using. And so it was much more palatable, much cheaper. And after 2008, our imports have just skyrocketed. So that's why it's a, hmm. a resource and price thing. Funny enough, I, um, I remember that was around about the time that I really got into Prosecco as well. Um, because it was a year or two after I graduated financial crash. And I just remember going around house parties with a bottle of Prosecco feeling all fancy. <laughs> exactly, yeah, and everyone did that. And that's, why, that's why the imports just rose so fast. Um, and of course, it's very cheap should you go to Italy um, and experience it. And also it's extra tasty because it's all fresh. And you see it a lot so on wait, when you see When you say cheap, how cheap? Well, the cheapest I can think of having it is probably, um, when I went to Venice. You haven't been to mm -hmm. Venice, have you? You've been to Italy, but you haven't been to Venice. Yeah, I've been to kind of Milan and Bergamo and Northern Italy. Yeah. Not been to Venice. So this is, obviously this is made in the Northeast region. So, you know, mm -hmm. Venice is part of that. And you do find it on tap in a lot of places. People sort of, particularly from this country say, oh, Venice is so expensive. But it's the same as everywhere. You can either go to, you know, the big, tourist traps or you can wander down side streets get lost and find somewhere that's going to give you a two euro glass of prosecco and um mm -hmm. the way they the way they drink over there is quite different so um you would go to like a cafe um to drink at about five o'clock say so probably after work you go to the cafe you you buy your drink but it's not a sit-in like bar affair you stand on the streets and you'll have your happy hour aperitif. So I went to a place that was giving um, spritz, Venetian spritz. I'll talk about that in a minute. It was two, two for three euros on happy hour, which was wow. delicious. And then, of course, they go home. They have, um, you know, a bit of food. They have a nap. And then they go out again in the evening for more dinner and drinks. So it's kind of like a <sighs> different rhythm. Perfect. Yeah. That's like a wild dream now we're in lockdown. <laughs> isn't it <laughs> just keep sleeping and going out again that's pretty much what i do but just within the confines of my own home <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> keep going to sleep waking up having more drinks yeah. um so spritz um i say it's called venetian spritz in there it's just called spritz over here we probably know it as aperol spritz because i love Aperol spritz. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so it's the same thing, but over here we we tend to call it Aperol spritz. So spritz comes out of in, initially the 1800s. That's where it's born, um, but that's without the Aperol. 
This is just when they were watering down wine because the Habsburg Empire had come over to dominate the, the Veneto region in the 1800s. And the, the local wine that they were drinking was much stronger than they were used to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so they would ask for it to be watered down. Of course, they spoke German, so they would say spritzen to have it to have it watered down the wine. Then it would just you know be normal water or some rather than soda water, um, just diluted. And then it's not until the mid twentieth century that you get apérol added to, added to it to become the Venetian cocktail. Apérol was actually yeah. created in Padua in 1919 by the Barbieri brothers, um, but it's in the fifties that it kind of becomes this popular alternative and added to the white wine and soda and um, nice. it was not really until about 15 years ago that it actually really exploded as a cocktail and that was because Aperol got bought out by the Campari group and they put loads yeah. of advertising behind it and said it's mm -hmm. a perfect drink for social occasions and I think that's when we started to notice it as an Aperol spritz over here as opposed to a, a Venetian spritz. Yeah I mean I went to Milan two years ago and it was just the marketing behind it there was crazy. Yeah. The kind of Aperol hour and yeah. They crazy. Put a big bet on it. Do you know um, the flavourings of Aperol? No, I don't. I know they garnish it with orange, so I'm guessing it's a citrusy mix. So this is exactly what I thought. I thought it's, they garnish it with orange, it's orange, it's probably got some sort of orange in there. But mm -hmm. It does have a lot of things in it, but principally, uh, rhubarb is one of them. No way. I know, and I love rhubarb. I don't know how yes. I didn't notice that. I'm going to drink it in a whole new way now, trying to look out for it. Maybe it's um, kind of us versus Europe thing, whereby I know like flavoured water in Europe compared to flavoured water here in the UK is nowhere near as sweet as we normally have. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, when we have um, like a rhubarb gin, it's very, very sweet. So yeah. maybe it's that difference over there. Maybe when they make a rhubarb alcoholic drink, it doesn't need to be that crazy sweet rhubarb. It's more of a... Well, as it, it's created to be used as a bitter, essentially. That's, that's mm -hmm. why they've got the other ingredients in. So it's not... I think it's not supposed to be as such a sweet liqueur. So the other main thing is it's got our gentian, which is a, a mm -hmm. flower and root, which tastes bitter or bittersweet. So that's kind of like the bitters element of it. And then chincona, which is a tree. Mm -hmm. So they use the bark of it as a, as a flavoring, but actually it's, um, it's used quite widely for medicinal purposes. So it's meant to be good for your digestion um, and also blood vessels. So uh, good for your hemorrhoids, hun. Great. Any cocktail that's going to make me healthy, I'm done for. Healthy's <laughs> probably a stretch, but um, yeah. Oh, I really want an Aperol spritz now. Well, do you know what? I've got some Aperol just to let well, me. I'm sitting there with it. your your fancy Prosecco and your Aperol, and I've just got my... What could you put in it? What have you got that you could add to my Secco to make it palatable? Well, funny enough, you were just saying that about how the Germans used to say some spritz. Mm -hmm. So how can I spritz my Masecco? I mean, I could pour it down the sink and pour something else in the glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one interpretation of it. Well, how, have you got any fruit? Because uh, another very famous 
Prosecco cocktail is the Bellini. Yes. Um, which is, I think, pretty delicious. So it's, that's Prosecco and it's peach puree or peach nectar. Yeah. I think I've got bananas, grapes and apples at the moment. But honestly, I think this is beyond salvaging. I don't, I don't think any of those are probably going to work. I can run you through some of the alternatives they have to Bellinis and uh, see if you can get your hands on any of these. So, uh, well, first of all, the history of the Bellini. It's sometime around the 30s or 40s. It's created mm -hmm. by Giuseppe Cipriani, who founded Harry's Bar in Venice. And, fact, I have been to Harry's Bar in Venice and had a Bellini, and it was delicious. Oh, yeah, nice. purely for that reason. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's called a Bellini. You know, often we find cocktails are named after um, places or the people who created them, but he, he actually did name it after Giovanni Bellini, the uh, Venetian artist from the 15th century. Clearly a very cultured man. And that's because um, in the original, they do use white peaches to puree, but he used to put like a bit of... Um, a bit of cherry liqueur or something in it to to make it, you know, a glowing pink, uh, or some raspberry sometimes as well. Um, and the pink colour reminded him of uh, the paintings of Bellini because that's kind of what he was known for, introducing these rich colours and this sort of sensuousness to his art. So um, he named it after that. It became very popular there and in the New York counterparts um, of of Harry's Bar. But there are some variants, so you can replace the peach puree with mandarin, um, and that would be a puccini. I'd and, love that. I'm not a big fan of peach, so I'm all about mandarin there. Yeah. Yes. Also, I love puccini, so that'd be good. Um, you can puree strawberries, and that would be a rossini. Mm. And you can make it with pomegranate juice, which would be a tintoretto. <gasps> yes, definitely want that. Yeah. So he's very much yeah. celebrating the arts of uh, yeah. cocktails, but I think I could recommend all of them, really. I think next time we can drink together, we should have a, a night of those. Yes, all the, all the fruit purees. I feel like they've been overshadowed by the Aperol Spritz of late with Prosecco cocktails, so I'd be keen to see more. Yeah, I mean, pomegranate sounds great. Mm. So, um... I'm mesmerised by the bubbles flowing through my flute, <laughs> as it were. Um, can you tell me some facts about bubbles, please? I can. Are you ready? Yeah, hit me. The largest gum bubble blown in the world is 50 feet by two feet. Wait, gum bubble? Yes, gum with a G, Tim. Get your mind out of the gutter. That's not what I was thinking. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify. You mean like you can't mean chewing like gum. chewing gum? Yeah. Bubble gum. Fifty foot by two foot. Okay. I bet. I mean, how much did they have to fit in their mouth for that? I'm not sure. I didn't do that much research. <laughs> you have to like deep throat bubble gum in order to have that much. Probably. Mass. Apparently, the technique for blowing a bubble that big is. Um, Lots of short, soft blows. Just slowly, easy does it. <laughs> Don't just try and go 50 foot in one breath. <laughs> I think that's good advice for life, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, moving on. Yep. Do you like bubble tea? No, I, I mean, again, no tasting notes, but I do think it's spawn. 
It tastes like frog spawn. <laughs> it, feel, it feels like it. frog spawn. It looks like um, attention deficit disorder. Great, so you love this fact. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the largest bubble tea ever brewed was 680 litres. Why? I don't know why, but I could tell you where. It was in Taipei in November 2018 during a festival. 680 litres of bubble tea was brewed and shared between all the people at the festival. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't want to know. I I hope somebody just jumped in it like a swimming pool. That's what I would have done. Oh, that's very unsanitary. <laughs> that's what I'm concerned about. Like, are they are they sharing straws? Are they swimming through it? Or was it just like all big, like made in one big batch and then eventually everyone just got a cup? Which is an anticlimax, but safer. Yeah, well, we're in a pandemic, so I think we know what happened. We know where it started. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Edit here first. It wasn't bats and pangolins. It was a massive bubble tea. Uh, moving on Uh bubble wrap i love bubble wrap and so did 2681 boy scouts who broke the world record for the most number of people popping god that's like a tongue twister the most number of people popping bubble wrap at one time 2681 boy scouts and the irony of it, I love, is that they did it at their scout ranch in Colorado, which is called Peaceful Valley. <laughs> Not anymore. That's <laughs> <laughs> some delicious irony. People yeah. popping bubble wrap, people popping bu- bubble wrap, people popping bubble wrap. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty hard. I like it though. Last one. Yep. How long do you think the current Guinness World Record is for time spent inside a bubble? Ooh. Now, it depends on definition, right? I mean, like, are we thinking like Hamster Boy? Like that film with Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> <laughs> he was in that protesting plastic book. Because he was in there for about 18 years or something. <laughs> no, I think they mean like a soap bubble. Oh. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't even think you can get... I think it's impossible to fully be in a soap bubble. So maybe someone like jumped and then they wrapped one around them and it four seconds it was one minute and two seconds lies i don't I, I don't know it was a husband and wife team oh that explains it yeah they just clearly <laughs> hate each other I don't know why maybe they... it wasn't a soap bubble maybe he tried to kill her <laughs> it was cellophane <laughs> <laughs> he got caught and said it was a world record attempt <laughs> Those are my bubble wraps. Uh, Bubble wraps, bubble facts. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I'm. I would say I'm dubious about half of them, but I enjoyed all of them. Yeah, I mean, I just googled bubble facts and took whatever I found on the front page. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's research, isn't it? That's research these days. Yeah, that is. Um, it's not like I've got anything else to do at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) True. Hence, hence. Um, before we depart, you have not had a single sip of your Mosecco since we've, uh, since you've had your first tasting. Do you want to have like a finale sip? Yeah, sure. 
How much do I have to drink? <laughs> you know, like a taster. Okay. Neck it. I can't neck it. I'm, I, I'm genuinely worried it's going to make me ill. <laughs> oh my gosh, my, my husband's just got home. This is not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> not a good look. <laughs> neck it. Oh, We're doing our podcast. Standard. Yeah. I think now would be a good time oh. to get a second opinion. <laughs> so we're going to have a final opinion on the MySecco for my husband. Fluted lager. It's going in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I don't like Prosecco anyway, but that doesn't taste right. <laughs> what does it taste like? I don't know. It's got a few straight aftertaste to it. I managed to describe the taste. Like it's prosecco like. Yeah. But it's not prosecco. <laughs> I thought it smells like apple juice. It tastes like a bad cider, and then when you swallow, it's like a cleaning product. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably what you get for six ninety nine. Make your own prosecco drink. I suppose. You buy me the best Christmas presents. <laughs> Thanks for your contribution in all forms there, Chris. Both the gift and the tasting notes. I was, I was, have you finished the cat? The no, we're just, no, about, we're to just about to wrap up. Yeah. Tim's <laughs> golden drinking more, and then you turned up. Oh, right. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Lovely interjection. Right, okay. So after, after your efforts and Chris's efforts, our glasses have eventually run dry, which means it's time to blow bubbles. With their permission, of course. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. 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 Oh my God, Tim, it's awful. I knew it would it's be. the worst thing I've ever had. It sounded truly gross.